all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. You're listening to a podcast of Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Good morning and thanks for listening. This is Relatively Speaking and I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. So, the question today is, were you a picky eater as a child? And if you were, are you still? Was picky eating even a thing 40 years ago? Well, it certainly is now, and about one in four children have a restricted diet. And many really do continue into adulthood. So... The question is, do you think picky eating is something that you're born with, or is it created? So today we have a feeding expert, Rachel Tyrone, who will talk about the facts and what you can do about it. But before we um, bring Rachel in, I want to just talk a few about a few things of why this is so important and this is truly a family issue um as you know the show's about you and your family not just your children but all of you and certainly those of you out there who have dealt with feeding issues in in the home you know how much this can affect family the other thing it can do is it can lead to nutritional deficiencies over or underweight kids, many times children who have a very restricted diet and will only eat certain things like macaroni and cheese and chicken nuggets and end up being on that high carb uh, load, they end up overweight. But they'll also have increased likelihood of other kind of chronic diseases like cardiovascular disease, hypertension, obesity, I already talked about that, osteoporosis, heart disease. So for the most part, the picky eating um, gets better. Uh, with age, but not always. And like I said, the the stress to households can be pretty significant. Um, often meal times turn into a battle time, and um, with crying and gnashing of teeth. And as I always tell parents, um, the 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 one who wins, especially the mealtime battles, is typically the child. Um, and if you'll think about situations that have happened as you've moved along in your household, if you've dealt with this in the past or presently dealing with it, um, you know, it's hard to force Bill to feed a child um, if they don't want to eat it. They can clamp that mouth shut. The jaws are strong. And um, the worst thing, um, that can happen be- besides a child not eating is they may vomit the food up because of the the battle that's ensued. So with all of that, uh, I want us to think about 
is this something that is created um, that you're born with? There have been some studies that say that there perhaps is a gene site that appears to be one that makes some individuals a little more sensitive, have a deeper um, sensory sense of smell, a deeper sense of taste. And so perhaps some of those maybe bitter taste uh, that you get in some vegetables uh, might might be more profound to some individuals. Well, we know that's probably true. Also, some selectivity in foods is sort of a normal part of development. Um, it seems that maybe children are a little more physiologically uh, likely to like um, new foods before the age of two. But then around two, there are a couple of things that happen. And um, one is that they begin to become more independent, right? The other thing is there is thought by some um, to be um, an evolutionary trend in that two-year-olds who are very mobile are more likely to get into toxic substances and bad things. And so perhaps their restriction of foods that they like becomes more profound as maybe even a protective factor. Well, there's some question about that, but not all clear, but something that um, we think may may be partially to blame, okay? So, 50 years ago, um, we probably didn't have the volume of picky eaters that we have now. Um, and the length of time in which it continues. So, listeners, why do you think that is? Why do you think that all of a sudden one in four children have this issue? When, um, you know, you, I, for example, came from a family of eight, and as I remember, nobody was really a picky eater. We had preferences, but... Um, Perhaps, like I read that someone said recently about um, picky eating, is that now picky eating is is sort of a an uh, phenomena of the wealthy. What do you think about that? Do you think that perhaps because I was from a family of eight and uh, we had food put on the table and you ate it or you didn't? Um, that, and certainly my family wouldn't waste the food. Do you think that that is less likely to happen now? Question to you. Um, the other question that I will pose is, as I have investigated this further over the years, I think there are also some reasons that sometimes these picky eaters get created. Sometimes parents don't want to waste the food. And so if they put beef on a child's plate or pork on a child's plate and they know that child is not going to eat it then um, they don't feel like they should be wasting the food so could that be an issue so I want to hear from you jump into the conversation let's talk about why this is created um, give us a call one eight seven seven mpb ring that's eight seven seven 
672-7464, or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. The other thing that I want to bring up for us to think about as we are beginning this discussion is that there was a study uh, conducted by Duke University Center for Eating Disorders that was published in the fall, I think, of 2016 or 2017. And and they talked about the fact that um, moderately selective eaters, picky eaters, that selective eaters is a nice term, but moderately selective eaters were more likely to show symptoms of depression and social anxiety um, or even ADHD. So um, something I want to throw in there. Um, Also that these picky eaters were more than twice as likely to be diagnosed with depression or social anxiety. So that's kind of big, twice as likely if, if you are a picky eater. Um, so, uh, I see we have a couple of calls, um, on the line. I'm excited about that. Let me bring in Rachel so that she is part of the conversation with these phone calls too. Rachel Tyrone, I'm delighted to have, is a certified speech language pathologist working on the Mississippi Thrive Grant. You may have heard about from me. Um, I'm part of that grant too. Um, she's been there for the past five years. She specialized in the evaluation and treatment of feeding disorders. And during this time, she's worked with tons of children and parents on navigating the world of feeding disorders. So thanks for joining us, Rachel. Hi, Dr. Butchers. It's so nice to be on here. Thank you for having me. Oh, thanks. It's it's great to have you. And I know before this show, Rachel and I have talked a bit sort of about our thoughts, and I know we'll get to all of those as we move along. But let's jump on the phones. Um, I'm excited to have Steve from Corinth. Hi, Steve. Thanks for calling in. Uh, on the subject of food, I want to uh, make just a, a few points real quick. The first one is that um, one aspect of a small child that uh, that may seem picky, and it, it was a, happening to me up into my early teens, is that I realized that my severe, constant allergy problems were drastically affecting my taste buds. Mm. And, and it was really knocking things off until I cleared up with most of my allergies. And uh, to really overcome that was a wonderful thing that I wasn't expecting. When I enlisted in the Air Force, they trained me as a cook. And as picky an eater as I was, because I was a cook, I was having to taste test most of what I was cooking, which was just about anything you can imagine. And I have ended up loving and eating just about anything except the raw oyster. There's my exception right there. <laughs> There are there are different aspects of, of things that may seem as a picky eater in a child that they can't really help because mine being an example of allergies will constantly um, just know your your taste buds and you you just don't looking at some foods will make you almost gag. 
uh, Steve, that is a great point that you bring up, and um, that is certainly something that we need to talk about. Not only um, will it blunt if you have severe allergies, like you said, um, if your nose is stopped up, you cannot smell something, and if you cannot smell something, often your taste, unless it's an extreme, um, extremely great taste or bad taste, uh, you just don't taste anything. So it can affect appetite in general. And then, Rachel, you might want to comment on sort of the behavioral piece of of that. If you eat something, right, that yeah. that you, you might not feel good because you have an allergy to it. And so it's a, a negative um, enforcement not to have that food again, right? Exactly. And Steve, I'm so glad you were able to identify what were those allergens that were kind of prompting some of your picky discs. But that's such a common thing that happens in the clinic that I've seen over the years. It's either a lot of the times it boils down to either there's some sort of food allergen involved or there's some sort of GI tummy component involved to make kids not want to eat. Because typically there's something underlining there that could be going on that makes kiddos maybe less likely to want to eat certain foods. And a food allergy is a perfect example. Um, a lot of the times we think of a food allergy as all of a sudden I'm turning red, I have a rash, and that's maybe my throat's closing up. But that's not always the case. And, Dr. Butchers, you, you would know, too, more about um, kind of how these allergens manifest in kiddos. But sometimes it could just be as simple as my stomach hurts, like this allergy that I have to breads maybe makes my stomach hurt a little bit. So every time I eat breads, my stomach hurts. So I start to learn, ooh, that doesn't feel good. I don't want to eat that. So then I, I slowly start to or quickly drop those foods off of the um, selection of foods that I do like to eat. Right. And then you have the behavior involved, too. Like you were mentioning, you have the crying and the fussiness, and that's more of the crying and fussiness is because something doesn't feel well. It's not completely the bread's fault. It's sometimes the me not feeling very well that causes me to have these behavioral feelings towards these foods, too. Yeah, exactly. So I think just a couple of things about the the food reactions that will negatively reinforce the desire not to eat that food. Um, so like you mentioned, it could be um, stomach pain, it could be bloating gas, it could even be diarrhea or vomiting. And and certainly I have a couple of uh, grandsons who are allergic to nuts, tree nuts. And I mean, they have very extreme reactions. So they are very careful about what they eat. And it has it has ended up in a more restricted diet. And so from a behavioral standpoint, that can certainly happen. So, Steve, thanks for bringing that up. I think what we're going to do is go to our first break. And when we get back, we have Diane from Gulfport. We have some other open lines. We're talking about picky eaters, why they happen, how can you work on them, um, and, and what to do about them if you're still struggling. Give us a call, one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 Or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress here with Rachel Tyrone, and we'll be right back.
Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. Children grow and change so fast, it's important to help them build the strong foundations they need to help develop lifelong skills and succeed in school. Whether it's singing songs in the car or counting steps while walking to the mailbox, there are many ways to help young children learn new skills and reach new developmental milestones. Even before they can talk, babies can make connections and respond to adults' words, sounds, and facial expressions by clapping, waving, or smiling back at them. Not only is it fun, but it's important to talk, read, and sing with children. More at MississippiThrive.com. an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back and thanks for listening. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress here with Rachel Tyrone, certified speech language pathologist, and we're talking about picky eaters. Creating them? Is that what happens? Is it something that is inborn? If it is, either way, what do you do about it? And are you still struggling as an adult? How has that affected you? So we would really love to hear from you, and you can join the conversation at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's 877-672-7464. You can send in me email to family at mpbonline.org. Okay, we're going to jump on back to the phones. We have Diane from Gulfport. Hi, Diane. Hello. Well, what do you think about this picky eating thing? What are your thoughts? Well, I was told as a child that I was a picky eater, and my husband still says I'm a picky eater. And I know that one of my children is for sure a picky eater. Um, but I don't really feel like I am a picky eater. Well, so what, why do you think your husband says that? Tell us what you eat or what you don't eat, and, and, um, and let's go from there. The don't eat is the bigger issue, um, and there are just a lot of things. Well, not a whole lot, but there are things I just won't eat, like anything with red bell pepper I will not eat. There's a funny back taste to me to red bell peppers that I cannot tolerate. Um, sriracha has the same back taste to me. Mm-hmm. Um, mayonnaise is off the, off the menu for sure. <laughs> and, um, and raw tomatoes, although I like them cooked, and I don't like cooked carrots, although I like them raw. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah. So those are some very specific examples. Um, do you think, now you said your son is perhaps also a picky eater by your husband's definition. Do you think that maybe... My, my daughter, and she definitely is a picky eater. So do you think you created some of that by not serving some of the things that you have trouble with? Just a question. I don't know. I mean, I really don't know because those were never those things were never on the table, and those are not things that she doesn't like. She likes those, hmm. um, but she is very particular. She went through a phase when she was three or four, the macaroni and cheese phase um, that you hmm. talked about hmm. earlier, and um, she would only eat macaroni and cheese. Well, she's a, a tiny child; she's 
24 now, and she's still a tiny child. <laughs> but um, she wouldn't she wouldn't eat anything but macaroni and cheese for a good six months. Yeah, so it sounds like your your daughter was a lot pickier than than you, mm-hmm. and you had some very specific issues. Um, Rachel, comment on some of those real specific issues that Diane had, and why you think that that may have evolved. I'm thinking. Uh, red pepper sriracha uh, uh, sauce is, you know, very, very yeah. flavorful. But mm-hmm. comment on that, if you will. Yeah, and I wonder too, kind of back to the point of what you were discussing earlier, Doctor Butchers, about us kind of having our own sensory profiles of things that we like that are more flavorful than others. So things to me, like I love a raw tomato, but to Diane, that was not something that she liked. So I wonder to what extent was the taste of that was much different to her than it would be for me or for somebody else that likes that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also too the, I don't know how long she's not liked the tomato and bell pepper, but those are kind of similar as far as having that outside skin to it. And I know sometimes how many kids do we have that they want, please peel the apple and peel the grape for me. We don't like those almost like a mixed texture of you've chewed up the inside of this food. And then now I'm left with this outside skin that, Ooh, I'm just not super sure on. So I wonder how much has involved as far as having almost like a mixed texture type thing to that. Um, But that's kind of what's coming to mind as far as for Diane, if she has a different sensory preference for that one food. And to her point exactly, she said it it had a different back taste. So to her, it tasted much different than what it would for me or for somebody else. So for her, that's part of her own palate. And we all have our own preferences as far as foods we like and foods that we don't like. And sometimes it takes just practicing some of those foods to really start to like foods or have a taste for it and sometimes we just don't like certain foods yeah yeah Um, that's kind of what's coming to mind and so you stay away from it um and and like diane said um she never introduced it uh a couple of those things to her daughter i've i've always been interested now um liking uh not liking cooked carrots and and liking raw carrots i i do Mm -hmm. i personally think that i like them both but i personally think that when you cook a carrot, the taste changes so significantly. Mm-hmm. I don't know, Diane. Um, I think you're still, are you back with us for a minute? I'll just ask you, do you think what Rachel mentioned as far as um, the inside versus the outside of perhaps the food was part of it, or was it more the actual taste? It's the taste. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's the taste. I, I like um, green tomatoes. In fact, I, I pickle green tomatoes, and they are absolutely delicious. Uh-huh. Um, so I don't think it's that, that. And I and I like green bell peppers. I just don't like red, orange, or yellow. Yeah. Which I hate red the most. Yeah. Um, and they all so taste a, a bit. Yeah. Yeah. They all. Now and, the mayonnaise, I think, is the texture. I don't like the texture of mayonnaise. Yeah. I think that's the texture issue. Right. Well, I think, you know, I think this points out that perhaps um, when you have something that starts on early, it's hard to change it. And we'll talk more later in the show about that, about what do you do if you really want to change or if it doesn't matter, do you just 
avoid it. Um, but let's let's stay on the phones for a few minutes. I think um, Janice is next from Columbia. Hi, Janice. Thanks for waiting. Yes, ma'am. How are you? Great. I'm just weighing in on the picky eaters. Sure. Because when I was a child, I was a real picky eater. I didn't want no kind of vegetables, and still today, I'm 58 years old, and I still don't eat no vegetables. I didn't eat fish. I didn't eat green. I didn't eat corn, none of that. And I'm still a picky eater. The only thing I wanted to eat when I was younger was some red beans and rice. And my mom, you know, when she cooked them, I eat like three bowls of that, and I don't have to have no meat, just cornbread. And uh, I'm a real picky eater still to today. I don't eat fish or nothing like that. The only thing, like I said, the only thing I want to eat is red beans and rice. And my mom used to make me go to uh, go to bed, hey, baby, go to bed uh, a million night. Hungry. Mm. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Uh, yes, ma'am. She would make me uh, she made me go to bed. The only thing I wanted to eat as a child was, like I say, red beans and rice. And I loved a peanut, uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yeah. And it was like 19, 19 of us. But it's only six of us living in. I was always picky, and I was always a little bit the run. I, I call them the run of the bunch. <laughs> I was smaller than any of my other sisters and brothers. I was the, just like a little skinny girl until today. Now, like I say, I'm 58 years old, and I'm still a picky eater. So, Janice, let me ask you this. Have you, as an older individual, have you taken vitamins or anything else? Because I, and. I hope your your diet has expanded. I love red beans and rice too, but certainly you're not getting all your nutrition from that. I, and, I, and I know that I'm not getting the nutrition. Only vitamin I take is a a vitamin uh, B3, and that's it. Hmm. No supplement, of vitamin, nothing like that. And that's all. So you may be maybe. Proving some of the issues don't always, you know, everybody doesn't read the book. So what we know about research and mood and all of that and health and nutrition, um, some people somehow come out on the other side okay. But my question Mm -hmm. to you is, do you have any trouble with mood or sleep or anxiety or depression, any of that? Well, I go go through a depression problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it may be that, Janice, if you can improve your nutritional state, you may, you may, not always, but may do better with your with your mood. So I would encourage you to do a couple of things. One, to start yourself on a good multivitamin because right now, nutritionally, you're probably somewhat deficient just hearing what you're talking about. And two, I think it would be good if you could, and like I said, Rachel will talk about that in a few, in a little bit, but it would be good if you would talk to her about, uh, listen to some of the recommendations on how maybe to slowly expand um, Mm -hmm. your diet, okay? So, well, thanks for calling. Um, You sound great, and that's why I asked you, and I appreciate you sharing um, yes, everything. So hang on, keep listening. And, uh, yeah, we'll go to break. And when we come back, we'll go to Charlie from Memphis, who's been patiently waiting, but we have open lines. You can give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We are talking about picky eaters and how to deal with it, what you can do. And, question does it really affect you Um, this is relatively speaking and we'll be right back 
Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress with a Mindful Minute. Children grow up so fast, before you know it, they'll be starting kindergarten. A good way to watch for school readiness is to mark developmental milestones like talking in sentences, counting, writing, and playing well with others. Positive adult-child relationships are key to helping children meet these milestones. You already have the tools you need. Talking, singing, and reading are fun ways to help children learn and thrive. One way to celebrate these special moments is to use a milestone checklist. Healthcare providers are also a great resource to help make sure your child's on the mark and ready for the next step. Examples of developmental milestones, fun family activities, and additional resources can be found at MississippiThrive.com. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. We are back. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress here with Dr. Rachel Tyrone, and we are talking about picky eating and how does that affect you and how do you deal with it? How do you deal with it in your family and with your children? Or do you need to? So we are going to go right back to the phones. We have Charlie from Memphis. Hi, Charlie. Thanks for hanging in there. Hey, Dr. Susan. Uh, I love your show, so I will wait. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. What I wanted to say is my relatives and friends call me a picky eater, but the main, and it's been lifelong, it's never changed, but the main things I don't eat are cheese and fish, and so my... Uh, assessment of it is because those are real common foods and they come up a lot in meals and preparation that I just, you know, that's partly why they think I'm finicky. Well, maybe. Certainly cheese seems to be universally in lots of foods (laughs) as an additive. Um, Rachel, thoughts on that one? So is it just cheese or is it any other kind of dairy that you're kind of turned away from no just cheese i love just milk cheese. um and, but i don't drink as much because i'm older and i take a, every now and then calcium supplements mm-hmm. and then i eat broccoli and other things that have calcium and i'm basically yeah, I a real healthy eater i eat a lot of fruits and vegetables and a lot less meat than i ever have but even it's funny my vegetarian friends think i'm finicky a little bit mm-hmm. i don't eat as much as other people do i don't stuff myself and I tend to eat more times a day and less food at a time. Yeah. Do you recall any kind of experience with cheese or even like the fish? Because that's kind of a, I know you said it's a very common food that you and your um, your social group eat some of that. But do you recall any kind of experience maybe when you were younger with either one of those foods that may could have turned you away from them? Well, I, the only thing I remember is uh, when I was probably four or five, my dad tried to make me eat cheese like a cheese sandwich. And my, my mother and my sisters loved grilled cheese sandwiches, which is kind of a southern thing. But I just couldn't abide it. And now, if you were to offer me a piece of any kind of cheese, I would throw it away. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I well, don't really have a negative connotation with it at all. It's just a taste. Well... Okay, but you you do there there is something there negative. If your dad tried to 
make yeah. you, right? So Please. it it mm-hmm. probably reinforced your feeling about um, the fact that you really dislike the taste of cheese. Our brain does uh, very interesting things to us. So, mm-hmm. um, and and I that don't remember it being negative though, you yeah, know? Yeah. Huh. So. Here is something that um, Michelle asked during one of the breaks is, um, and Charlie, I think we need to, this is, a, you open the door for that. Do you force a child to to try a food if they are certain they don't want it, that they don't want to eat it? Um, what what do you do? I have a story, my husband and I, and, and now my youngest son, we still laugh about it. When he was very small, he was a bit picky. And when he was very small, um, he did not want to eat the green beans on his plate. And my husband decided that he was going to make him taste a green bean. So he sat there with him, and, and our son put the green bean in his mouth and um, because he was trying to be compliant and he immediately threw it up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I looked at my husband and I said, well, how'd that go for you? Um, <laughs> not so good. Um, so we've laughed a lot about that. And, and that young son now is, is certainly an adult and he eats everything. He is very mm-hmm. unpicky. But there are still a couple of things that um, like you, um, Charlie, he's he's still um, there. Are a couple of things that he's not so crazy about. Like one of our earlier callers, Janice, he's never been crazy about mayonnaise. I don't know. I guess he he, he says it was a textural thing early on, so it it could be a textural thing that you don't like. I'm not sure with fish. Of course, we know that some fish can be very healthy, but you can certainly have a healthy diet without having fish in it. There are other ways to get those omega-3 fatty acids that we know are so important. So that would be the only thing, Charlie, that I would want you to check on. Cheese? Well, I used to go to New Orleans a lot, and I love New Orleans, and I would eat gumbo, but when I would think about it later, I would say to myself, it had fish in it, but it didn't seem to bother me. I will eat cheese on pizza also, but if it's a Mm. Overly cheesy dish or overly fish, I just I just don't like it. I mm. just it's a taste thing for me. Yeah, mm-hmm. interesting. It's so weird and bizarre how we all have so many different flavors. What we like and what our what my taste buds are compared to somebody else's. It's not a one size fits all. We don't all like the same foods. And yours is a very good example of stark differences of cheese and fish. Those are fish does have a specific taste to it, so I can see how some people may be kind of pulled away from it, but I myself love fish, but mm-hmm. it is, it's very interesting how we all have our own different and unique taste buds and palates that we prefer. It, it really is. Um, there are thoughts. I know we worked with a group of children in a model autism school several, several years ago. And most children with autism spectrum disorder have some um, food issues because mm-hmm. they have some sensory issues many times. And um, what what our psychologist always told us as she set things up was that to just have the exposure at least 10 mm-hmm. times in a row, and many times it takes up to 10 times of that exposure, Rachel, as a feeding expert. Yes. Is that is that true, the 
exposure over and over to try to diminish perhaps the dislike of of the look or the taste or the touch? Yeah, I mean, I've, I don't know where the 10, that number specifically comes from, because I've heard the same too from my speech path world and my colleagues working within feeding um, difficulties in that arena. And I've also heard that too. It takes your brain about 10 times to try something before you or even a child decides that they're willing to eat it. And I think it, like you said, it boils down to the exposure of it, realizing this green bean that's sitting on the plate, it's fine. It's okay. Mama's eating it. My brother and sister are eating it. Are the kids in my daycare eating it too. So maybe it's slightly safe and then you see it again, like, okay, well maybe I'm willing to try it this time, but it does boil down to the exposure. If you, if you really want to try something or really want to encourage your child or even an adult to try a new food, I would keep hanging around and exposing that same food over and over again. Cause if you bring up a green bean today and it doesn't come back for another three months, my memory, especially for kiddos, I don't have a memory lag that long. For three months ago, I saw this food. So that repetition and bringing it back time and time again can be helpful to really encourage them to try new foods because eventually it will probably happen. They will, Especially for just your picky eater, they will probably try it on their own. But that frequent exposure is very important and a, a tip I tell parents all the time. Right. And so just put, just put it on their plate. Don't try to force feed because you will lose, but to, to the visual exposure and then perhaps sort of a deal making on, on um, touching it to their tongue. You don't even have to mm-hmm. chew it up, right? So just a real gradual introduction. Yes, and that's yeah. a lot of what I tell my parents is you don't have to try they don't you don't have to have the expectation of I'm putting a green bean on your plate tonight you're going to eat that green bean because there's a lot of other pieces especially for our kiddos if we have some different sensory aspects my taste are different your taste my smell is different than your smell then I might need a little bit more time warming up to something so having just the expectation of we're going to keep this green bean on the plate tonight oh great looking at your green bean great touching your green bean because there's a lot of different things that you're getting exposed to with just looking at the food touching the food imagine touching green bean for the first time they're kind of wet and slippery so being okay touching that outside like close on my fingers eventually will let me be okay with touching that green bean to my lips and ultimately putting that green bean in my mouth later on so right incorporating all the different sensory systems into exposing a new food can be very helpful for expanding foods right diet. right right great advice um, okay, well, let's go on to Sue in Beaumont. Hi, Sue. Thanks for waiting. Hi, how y'all doing? <clears throat> I'd like to say somebody must cook some bad green beans. I can cook green beans even, like, even, te- even, like, even a little kid will eat them. Uh, anyway, um, I, I think a lot of that is just a matter of control. I found mm-hmm. that out when I had a daughter. We would go out to eat and... Uh, she one time went out to eat. She came back with two spoonfuls of lettuce on her plate, and that's all she would eat. And but she would get home, and when she got home, she'd open the refrigerator and start rummaging in the refrigerator. I think it's a matter of control. A lot of that is from the kid that may not realize it, but that's that's what it is. They're they're trying to control their environment. They're trying to control their parent or what they put in their mouth. That great point, Sue mm-hmm. and Rachel and I were talking about that before the show, right, Rachel? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's learning to sort of declare your your individuality. So yeah. you, under two, right? You're you're a child, Rachel. You had some good words on that. I'll let you go from there. 
Yeah, I'll start off with there's only two things in this world that children have control of, and that's when foods come in their mouth and when they decide to let it come back out. So (laughs) they can hold out and wait a very long time before they want to put food in their mouth. And so um, a lot of times what happens is you start to see these picky eaters emerging around the age of two because around that time, we start to see kiddos realizing I'm not mom. Me and mom are two separate people. I have my own thoughts. I can declare my own wants and interests. And so at that point in time, around the age of two is where you start to see these behavioral issues coming up. Now, what exactly is causing that, again, back to that evolutionary piece of what Dr. Butcher talked about earlier on deciding if this is protection or not, um, I think that there may be a level of that, but also it's the fact that I realize I can assert my own thoughts on what right. I like. So I like green beans today, but not tomorrow. And and then what happens is you start to just have these battles between parents and kiddos, and it becomes difficult, and at the end of the day, Sometimes, if you, especially for working parents that have worked all day long and you're tired, mealtime at the end of the day is a very difficult battle you don't really want to fight. So we just ultimately start giving in to some of these behaviors and letting them eat those specific foods that they want. And then they ultimately do get that control yeah. over the then they, eating dynamic. Right. And then you you end up making three or four meals at the table. And exactly. that is not what we're recommending. So um, you, you need to have control without having a battle. So, okay, we'll talk a little bit more about that, about... Um, After the last break, we have Melinda from Water Valley. Hang on, Melinda. We'll be right back. We have room for one more call or so. So give us a call. Jump in at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. We're talking about picky eaters. This is Relatively Speaking. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. Parents are a child's first teacher. Children make connections to the growing world around them through back and forth interactions. Parents and other caregivers can help children learn communication and social emotional skills by talking, reading, and singing each day. More information at MississippiThrive.com. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back and thanks for being with us today. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress here with Rachel Tyrone, speech pathologist. And we are going to jump right back to the phones. We're talking about picky eaters and what to do. How were they created? Hi, Melinda. Thanks for calling. Hello, ladies. Good Um, (laughs) morning-ish. Thank you for having me. I just wanted to touch on a couple quick things. Um, I'm very fortunate. My kids eat most everything, but so do I. And one of the things is picky eaters in my experience with some of my friends can be as a result of not so much having more than enough money 
for food in the house, but not enough because when you don't have enough, you're very limited to the types of groceries where you end up buying canned food, ramen noodles, and there's nothing wrong with that because I keep canned soups and noodles in the house because, you know, my kids are all teenagers now, but if they want something to eat and I don't feel like cooking, they're on their own. Right. Um, I think your point is a good one, Melinda, that mm-hmm. that it's not, yeah, I um, I brought that up at the beginning of the show, that that um, a, a therapist had noted in her mind that picky eaters were um, a, a disease of the privileged. And, and I, I think you're exactly right. Sometimes picky eaters are created because they never had the opportunity to even have the fresh fruits and vegetables, exactly. right? So you yeah, have, it, it could be the environmental factor right. of just what she said. We don't have the like financial ability to be able to provide all these fresh fruits and vegetables. And so you're not, again, that, that same experience that same exposure principle that you're not really exposed to those. So unfortunately you just don't get an opportunity to try all these foods because unfortunately all of our healthy foods cost much more than our $1 McDonald's happy meal that we can ultimately feed our kiddos. So, Which we are working to, right. We're working to change with community gardens and little personal gardens too. It would be, Really nice to have. But that was another question that we wanted to discuss, Melinda, was are you creating a picky eater by the way you cook and serve your family? And perhaps. Um, so that's a thank you for calling and and letting us know about that. We have one more caller I want to get to. We have Bill in Meridian. Hi, Bill. Thanks for calling. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for taking my call. I'm sorry I'm driving in this torrential downpour, so I hope you can hear me well. We can. Uh, I was uh, going to give you a little story about how I handled my picky eaters. I had uh, twin boys when they were about 10 or 11. They both liked sardines. So one day I got this idea. I bought a tin of octopus, which I knew they would turn their nose up at. But I just told them it was sardines, put it on a cracker, and they ate it. I said, <laughs> uh, so how was that? They said it was good. And that's when I had to confess that I had lied to them, tell them what it was. <laughs> and they both immediately looked really upset about it. And then I said, well, it was good, wasn't it? And they said, well, yeah. And I said, okay, here's the point. You don't ever have to turn your nose up at anything. Just try it, and you'll find things that you like. Otherwise, you'll miss out on a lot of things. You don't like something, you don't ever have to eat it again, but you know you've tried it. And since then, they've both been pretty brave about trying things. Now, they're older now, but there's hardly anything they won't try one time. I love that yeah. story. That's great, Bill. And, you know, I mean, to to certainly tell them later what it was was good. Um, but, you know, the truth, that is Exactly the truth. Sometimes it's more a a mindset, um, more so than than truly a sensory or a taste issue. Um, so, so again, there are a lot of very picky eaters who have the mindset, mm-hmm. think they won't like something, but have never really tried it. So, 
Mm-hmm. Um, Rachel, some final words in the last couple of minutes on what you recommend, um, maybe even for um, parents as they're handling these um, picky eaters. And then just a quick comment on on when do you get concerned? Um, okay. When would you do something more than just trying to manipulate yourself? Gotcha. Okay, so really what I like to start off, when it comes to our picky eater groups, when you have a nice variety of foods but not really great, we still miss on some of those foods that the rest of the family eats. But one thing I like to recommend to parents is schedule your meal times and snack times to the best you can. We're all living in a very busy world where schedules and routines are kind of hard to always keep up with, but it is helpful. Kids thrive on routine. So if you can somehow schedule your meal times and your snack times, that's going to be a great way to make sure that your kids are hungry whenever it's time to eat. Because the kiddos are probably not going to likely want to try a new food during supper time when I just had a granola bar or a honey bun about 30 minutes ago. I'm not very hungry. So schedule your meals and snack times to where you're promoting that hunger. And that can be something you can discuss with your pediatrician too on what is the right amount of time in between there. And then when you have meal times, go ahead and put on the plate some preferred foods and maybe a small amount of a non-preferred food. Because again, it's going back to that exposure of trying a new food or seeing a new food over and over again. So maybe our kiddo loves spaghetti and we love green beans, but we don't like broccoli. Maybe put a very small piece of broccoli on their plate for dinner that night and then try that again a couple nights later. Keep offering that in a small amount. There's nothing more anxiety provoking and seeing a massive head of broccoli on your plate and you don't want to eat all of that so a very small amount could be less intimidating right um that is such great advice and then the final quick thing i want to say is if you really are struggling there are awesome people out there Mm -hmm. like rachel trowron who was so awesome to come in and help us who can help you out so talk to your physician about that So if you'd like to hear this show again or any past episodes, you can listen to the podcast on your favorite podcast app by searching Southern Remedy Relatively Speaking. This show is a production of MPB Think Radio and engineered by Michelle McAdoo. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and I hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 11 for Relatively Speaking and that you'll stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now, coming up next here on MPB Think Radio.